Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. I caught up with my guest today, Arms Control Association President Daryl Kimball, from his hotel in Vienna. Daryl, along with hundreds of diplomats around the world, were gathered for the 20th anniversary of the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. This is a treaty that bans the testing of nuclear weapons and establishes a global monitoring system to ensure that no one can secretly test a nuclear bomb. The treaty was signed by the USA and most countries on the planet back in 1996, but it has not been ratified by some key countries, including the United States, and accordingly has not yet formally entered into force. Despite that, Daryl Kimball explains how the CTBT has become a very effective treaty over the past two decades, in particular through the deployment of a system of monitoring stations around the world that can detect anomalous seismic activity and radioactive discharge into the atmosphere. Daryl also discusses the implications of the continued non-ratification of the treaty by the USA. As always, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe on iTunes, get our app. You can get in touch with me through the little contact button, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg if you have suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover. And now here is Daryl Kimball of the Arms Control Association. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So the objective was to bring attention to the fact that the Conference of Test Ban Treaty has broad global support. There are 183 countries that have signed, including the United States and uh, the, the five original nuclear weapon states, but also to raise attention to the fact that there are still eight countries that must still ratify the treaty before it formally enters into force. And one of those countries is the United States, another China, North Korea, India, Pakistan, Iran, Israel, and Egypt. So basically um, these are nuclear-capable countries that have – some of them have signed like the United States, just have not ratified. And until they ratify, the treaty itself does not enter into force. So I'm kind of curious, interested in, in what's happening sort of this week then in Vienna. So you said this was a ministerial meeting, uh, but I take it John Kerry was not there? You're correct. Uh, so there were several foreign ministers who attended, including Frederica Mogherini, uh, the EU high representative, uh, the foreign minister of Kazakhstan, uh, Erlan Idrisov. Uh, Kazakhstan was a location of some 456 Soviet uh, nuclear test explosions uh, and several others. But you're right. Uh, the United States failed to send either Secretary of State John Kerry or 
Secretary of Energy Ernie Moniz. Uh, instead, they sent uh, an undersecretary of state, Rose Gottmuller. And because the United States did not send a ministerial level representative, other governments uh, seem to have uh, followed suit. Um, uh, these diplomatic events sometimes are like uh, a junior high school dance. If um, the other country is not sending their foreign minister, then I might not send my foreign minister. So there was that junior high school dance dynamic, and but there was still high-level representation from some countries. There was representation from uh, the vast majority of uh, signatory states. Um, I think more than 70 uh, were in attendance. So, so, mm-hmm. so did anything so, concrete then come out of this meeting, which, as you said, is billed as the 20th anniversary of the, the CTBT? Well, I think some of the most concrete steps uh, and, and, and outcomes had to do with some of the individual statements from certain important individual countries. So one thing that was very important is that China announced uh, that they will begin sending to the International Data Center here in Vienna the the seismic data from the five uh, monitoring stations that are on Chinese territory. Uh, China has signed the treaty, it has not ratified, and it has not up until this week been sending this data back to Vienna. And that's important because uh, the operation of the international network of seismic and hydroacoustic and radionuclide uh, and infrasound monitoring stations is, even before entering into force, a strong deterrent against any state trying to conduct a clandestine nuclear test explosion because it means they're being listened to. So that was an important move, uh, and it's also important with respect to future monitoring of North Korea's uh, territory for nuclear test explosions. Can I can I talk to you about those stations? Because uh, you know you mentioned earlier that even though this treaty has not been formally ratified, uh, there is a technical agency, the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization, which does exist and does maintain right. these monitoring stations that you just referenced. There's like a few hundred of these around the world, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so when the treaty was uh, concluded in 1996, uh, the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization uh, was established. Uh, but when it was established, these stations were not all online. Uh, they had just begun the the work of operationalizing this uh, uh, this data transmission uh, system. Now, uh, some 20 years later, it is very mature, and uh, there are some uh, 90% of the 337 stations that are operating, and they're sending data back to a central uh, computer uh, brain here in, in Vienna that processes the information, it analyzes it, it sifts out the uh, the seismic activity that is uh, or earthquakes, and explosions from mines from nuclear test explosions which have a different seismic signature and that provides the governments which receive this data with uh, the information they need to assess whether a country has tried to conduct a nuclear test explosion so so for, for example i remember mature, a, a couple mature. months ago um when north the last time north korea claims to have tested a a nuclear weapon 
Um, the head of the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization said, yeah, we need to wait like a couple days and our monitors will pick up like radioactive um, sensors. Like like we'll be able to test right. the air quality and know definitively um, whether or not this was actually a nuclear explosion. Like they detected the seismic activity. My understanding is some of these stations also can detect radioactive activity in the air. Well, you're right. There are uh, stations that detect seismic activities, the shock wave in the earth. Uh, there are some that detect, uh, radioactive particles that are emitted, uh, from nuclear test explosions. And there are some very specific, uh, radionuclides. They're called ga- radioactive gases that are only produced by nuclear test explosions. Uh, and then there's also, there are infrasound stations that detect very, very low level, uh, booms, um, such as those that might be produced by a nuclear test. Um, uh, and there are hydroacoustic stations that pick up shock waves uh, underwater that might be produced by an underwater nuclear test explosion. But the seismic signal produced by a nuclear test explosion looks uh, different from that of an earthquake. Uh, it, is, it is clear, um, and the experts can d- distinguish between the two. So the CTBTO, as it's called, uh, knew almost instantaneously that that nuclear test explosion by North Korea in January was a nuclear test explosion and not a chemical explosion or something mm-hmm. else. Uh, but the, the radionuclide uh, aspect uh, would have been very useful in helping to determine what kind of fissile material was used. Uh, was it highly enriched uranium or plutonium? But that is much more difficult to uh, detect because we're talking about uh, literally a few atoms escaping from underground and going into the air and then being captured by these fixed stations that the CTBTO uh, has to detect these radioactive particles. In addition to the international monitoring system that's officially part of the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty system, Individual countries have their own national technical means of intelligence. They have their own uh, airplanes that sniff the air for radioactive particles. They have their own seismic stations. Um, And so that can be used in addition to the official international system Mm -hmm. to help detect uh, clandestine explosions. And it can inform decisions by the treaty organization and the member states Mm -hmm. if and when there is a uh, an explosion that mm-hmm. that violates the test ban treaty it is it is sort of worth noting though that like from a political standpoint having a un body affirm a, a a nuclear explosion is in the minds of many countries probably more credible than say the cia uh, affirming it because the cia might be deemed as having some sort of um, singular political motive in pinning the blame on some country whereas the un a collection of bodies is is seen as somewhat more neutral well, you're exactly right. I mean, that's why this organization and this international network exists uh, in order to provide an objective, scientific, technical uh, body and mechanism by which these explosions uh, can be detected uh, and dealt with and responded to. So, there, are, in particular, there are countries like Israel uh, that's that's concerned about kind of false positives, if you will, or accusations that there has been a clandestine nuclear explosion on its territory. And so countries like Israel are very happy to have an international body that's responsible for this. Um, but so, Israel you know, has not ratified is, it, right? 
Well, it's interesting. Israel has not ratified, but they have signed. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was among the first leaders to sign the treaty back in 1996 when he was prime minister the first time around. Uh, and Israel is very active and supportive of the, the technical work necessary to complete the international monitoring system and also to complete the, uh, the rule book and procedures for on-site inspections. Because when and if this treaty enters into force, states' parties have the option of requesting an on-site inspection when the monitoring system detects a suspicious activity. Ah, so okay. so that that's, is, that's one of the big implications of ratification because you're describing the ways in which even though the um, treaty has not been ratified, has not come entered into force, I should say, um, it's still sort of making a difference, uh, but it could have a much broader reach if it actually does come into force. Exactly. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why uh, finishing the job of bringing the treaty into force is important because, uh, you know, looking at this from a purely U.S. perspective, the United States is never going to conduct another nuclear test explosion. Why? Because we don't have to technically to maintain the existing nuclear weapons capabilities the United States has, which are the most uh, sophisticated and reliable uh, and devastating uh, of any country's arsenal, and because of the political uh, uh, opposition that would occur if the United States uh, considered the resumption of nuclear testing. So it's in our interest to make sure that other countries don't have the option of resuming nuclear testing, and uh, we only increase our ability to to stop them from doing that if this treaty enters into force. And yet, and, I should say, and, and, and yet for years it's languished. I mean, as have many international treaties, to be fair, it's not just the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty that has uh, not been ratified. Other treaties that are seemingly even like less, have less or fewer implications on global security, like the Disability Treaty or right. the Convention on the Rights of the Child, neither of those have, have been uh, ratified. What are uh, like the Republican objections to um, the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, or I should say some of the Republicans, because to get ratified, you need two-thirds of the Senate, which is you know, even more than a, a supermajority. Well, what's sad, Mark, is that the debate and the discussion about the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty has not really evolved very much since the brief debate in 1999, in October 1999, that was less than a month long, that was very partisan, that took place in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal that led to the defeat of the treaty uh, in the Senate. There has not been a serious discussion of the treaty since then. There has not been a hearing in the Senate. And that's partly because the George W. Bush administration did not try to advance the treaty during its eight years. And it's because the Obama administration, even though President Obama said he wanted an immediate and aggressive effort to have the Senate reconsider the treaty back in 1999, even though he said that the Obama administration has not exerted the energy, the political capital necessary to even begin this conversation. And so you ask what the Republican opposition is. Um, there are some Republicans like uh, Senator Tom Cotton of, of Arkansas who have pulled out off the shelf the old talking points from 1999. But and Most what were those other, talking points? Well, I'll mention those in a second, but what the vast majority of senators um, think, we don't know because they haven't looked at the new evidence 
that I think and many others think have answered the questions from 1999 and should make it clear the treaty is in the U.S. security interest. But you know, some of the, the points of opposition in 99, like you know, the same ones that Cotton is mentioning now, they argued or they were concerned that we would not be able to maintain the U.S. nuclear arsenal without regular repeated nuclear test explosions. And since 1999, the Department of Energy and the National Nuclear Security Agency have spent billions on a very sophisticated program to uh, surveil the stockpile, to address uh, aging issues in the non-nuclear parts. We've learned that the nuclear components of U.S. nuclear weapons will last for decades, perhaps over 100 years, without any serious aging difficulties. So it is clear now, and the lab directors came here to Vienna to uh, speak about this. They actually had a press conference and a side event uh, uh, on this subject. They have made it clear that the stockpile stewardship program is working and that they are more confident in the ability of the United States to maintain the reliability of our arsenal today than they were during the days of regular nuclear test explosions. So that argument has been, if you look at it objectively, it has been dealt with. The other issue that Republicans raised in 99 that Tom Cotton is recycling again or trying to is that even though we have this very sophisticated international monitoring system in place, um, that there's still maybe could be a way in which some country finds a way to cheat and to hide a nuclear test. Well, that would be extremely, extremely difficult even for a country like Russia, which has a very sophisticated nuclear program, a, a lot of experience with nuclear testing. Uh, the, the monitoring system that the, the CTBTO runs combined with our own national intelligence has an extremely high probability of detecting even the smallest nuclear test explosion. And then you have to ask, does that extremely small nuclear test explosion uh, advance a country's nuclear capabilities? Is it militarily significant? And the reality is that in the case of a sophisticated nuclear testing state, nuclear weapons state like Russia, no, it does not. In the case of a unsophisticated uh, nuclear armed country like North Korea. They're not capable of conducting the very tiny uh, types of nuclear test explosions uh, that some of the more sophisticated countries are capable of conducting. So these kinds of concerns you know, are theoretical and extremely unlikely, but opponents of the, the CTBT will raise those, those issues. I mean, it's, I guess so it, those are it, oh, sorry, go ahead. So those are some. Those are two of the the main mm-hmm. arguments against. And you know, on a, on a technical basis, you know, those questions and concerns have essentially been answered as the monitoring system has matured, as the stockpile stewardship program has matured and been proven. And for those senators who still might be unconvinced that the treaty is is uh, not useful and who are concerned about what other countries do, I think they need to consider that. What something I said before, which is the United States is not going to conduct a nuclear test explosion ever again. So, Extremely unlikely. But other countries, 5, 10, 15 years from now, they might be tempted to think about it. So I, I guess uh, to what extent we is need this... To do- Yes. Well, so so what to, to what extent is like the status quo unsustainable? 
uh, because it seems to me from what you described that the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty Organization is doing a pretty good job uh, as it exists of detecting uh, nuclear right. activity uh, around the world. Uh, it does not seem likely that the United States is going to ratify this anytime soon unless there's like a huge dem sweep in the uh, forthcoming elections, which is not out of the realm of possibility. But um, chances are in the next few years, the treaty will not be ratified in the United States. Uh, so what's what's the problematic about remain, keeping this the status quo? Well, it's a good question. I mean, and, and this was something that I spoke about in the uh, the meeting, the plenary session. Uh, there was a chance for non-governmental organizations to speak. I mean, the treaty is a victim of its own success in the sense that it has brought into place a global norm against nuclear testing. No country is conducting nuclear test explosions except for North Korea. So in some ways, the problem appears to have been addressed. Uh, there's not an urgent threat of nuclear testing except for North Korea, which is an urgent problem, by the way. So what do we what do we have to worry about? Well, I think one of the things we have to think about is just what you said, which is that entry into force of this treaty could be many years away. The U.S. is a critical leadership country. If we do not ratify soon, China is not going to ratify India, Pakistan, etc., uh, and even if we did ratify in 2017 or 2018, which I think is a, a live possibility depending on how the November election turns out, it still is going to take years for the other countries to take the necessary action. So we have to think about ways in which we can reinforce the global norm against testing and we have to think about what happens to the international financial, technical, and political support for the CTBTO and the international monitoring system if the treaty does not appear as though it's going to be entering into force. I mean, there are countries that are being asked to contribute uh, dollars and euros, uh, pesos, uh, to maintain the organization and this international monitoring network. And so there is a risk of treaty fatigue uh, if the treaty does not enter into force soon or there's not the prospect of this. And that could have very negative effects on the ability to maintain the system, to maintain the stations. And by the way, since the treaty is now entering its 20th year since being concluded, many of these monitoring stations are getting older. And they, the CTBTO has to recapitalize these 300-some uh, stations, and that costs money. And sometimes there's damage to these stations, some of those tsunamis that take place knock out the hydroacoustic stations uh, out in the oceans. So it costs money to maintain uh, this system over time, and we, we may not have that support if this treaty looks as if it's never going to enter into force. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Daryl. Now you know, obviously, there was this horrific horrific mass murder in Orlando this week. And I've been writing a bit about the implications of it, uh, of the shooting, I should say the international implications of the shooting at the United Nations, uh, mostly in terms of a greater global acceptance of LGBT rights. There was a pretty extraordinary event at the Security Council on Monday, 
uh, when the Security Council passed a what's known as a press statement, which is basically a unanimous statement that is not as strong as a re- resolution in terms of the fact that it's not like legally binding under an international law. But unlike a resolution, a press statement needs to be unanimously conceded to by uh, the entire Security Council. And the statement uh, very forthrightly and for the first time ever uh, decried attacks on people based on their sexual orientation. This, I should say, was a statement agreed to by countries like Russia and Egypt, which had never previously before agreed to any such statement. In fact, just a few years ago, they blocked, or I shouldn't say they blocked, they voted against a resolution in the General Assembly that uh, singled out uh, LGBT be LGBT community as uh, people deserving special protection from extrajudicial killing and summary execution. Uh, that resolution, uh, despite their objection, passed. But you know, six years ago was, was sort of like a long time in the diplomatic world, and and now here we are in the wake of this pretty horrendous massacre. And uh, you saw some movement on this issue at the Security Council. Uh, there are obviously other global implications, international implications of this uh, horrific uh, murder, which I, I hope to explore in future episodes. Uh, but for now, I just didn't want to let uh, that um, event go sort of unmentioned. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.